Well, it's great uh, to be able to continue in this series in the book of Malachi with you. If you've been with us for a number of weeks, you know that we've been working our way through this book of Malachi. We're calling the series Renewing Faithfulness. And it's been fun to hear your feedback along the way. One of the most common points of feedback I hear is, wow, I had no idea that Malachi, of all books, have so many touch points to our contemporary situation. I mean, who would have thought that a little minor prophet buried at the end of the Old Testament would in so many ways resonate with where we are at today. And beyond that, I don't know about you, but I've been personally challenged as we continue to go through this book together. Because Malachi is one of these books that highlights a variety of ways that I need to grow and that Old North Church needs to grow as a church family. And if you're new here today, And you're just sort of jumping in. We're nearing the end of this series. But you need to know that it is our expressed desire as a church family to grow in all areas of our spiritual lives with God. That is, we want total faithfulness for ourselves. That's that's our goal. And that's what Malachi is really all about. We don't want to be the type of people that say, God, we will be faithful to you in these ways, but those types of things are off limits. We want to be a fully surrendered people to him. And that includes topics that can be sensitive in their nature. Like our topic for today. Which is the topic of money and Christian giving. Before going to Europe on a business trip, a certain man drove his Rolls Royce to a downtown New York City bank. He parked the car outside, and he walked into the bank, and he said, I would like an immediate loan of $5,000. And the loan officer was taken aback a little bit, and he said, well, we don't really know that much about you, so if you want to walk out of here with $5,000 today, you'll need to leave some collateral. And he said, well, okay. How about my Rolls Royce? And he dropped the keys on the table. The loan officer said, sure. Had somebody drive the car downstairs to the secured garage underneath the bank, wrote the, or gave the man $5,000 cash, and he left. Two weeks later, the man walked through the bank door after returning from his trip, and he asked to settle up and get his car back. And the gentleman said, sure, that'll be $5,000 in principal and $15.40 in interest. The businessman wrote the check and turned around and got his keys and began to walk out the door. When the loan officer sort of broke protocol and said, Sir, I just have to ask. While you were gone, we did a little bit of research into who you are, and we found out that you are a multimillionaire. Why would you need to come in to get an immediate cash loan of $5,000? That's nothing to you. To which the man responded with a smirk on his face, where else was I going to park my car in downtown New York City for $15.40? Everyone handles money differently. Some of us are stingy with it. Some of us are generous. Some of us are wise. Some of us are foolish. And money is viewed 
as one of those off-limit conversations for our personal lives. And it's, by some of us, maybe viewed as one of those off-limits conversations for the life of your church. Now, I know the dynamic. There's a cultural atmosphere message that says people are constantly trying to get your money from you. When you go to your mailbox every day, I don't know about you, but there's plenty of things in there that people are trying to pry my money away from me. You open up your email, you get phone calls, even on your cell phone sometimes from people trying to get you to buy things. And so when you come to church, it's almost like the last place you want to go and have this conversation about money. It surrounds us. But money and the topic of money, particularly as it relates to God, I hope, I hope it doesn't bring out the inner cynic in you. Because when we talk about money in the scriptures, and the scriptures do talk about it a lot, God has a lot to say. And, and you know, he looks at our use of money as largely a positive thing. So today we're going to have an honest look at the scriptures together in Malachi chapter 3. At the end of the message, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to give you, which is a very dangerous thing for me, but I'm going to give you the opportunity to sort of openly ask questions on the topic of money and Christian giving and see if I can make my way through them. Because this topic is a topic that's sensitive, because it's a topic that's personal, because it's a topic where we frequently have questions about, but we rarely actually ask them. And it's a topic that in some ways has a framework behind it. And let me give you that very quickly. You know, a lot of churches will shy away from talking about money because of the negative perception or responses. But I want you to know, I don't want you to think that the church is trying to pry you away from your cold, hard cash like all those mailers and emails and phone calls that you get. Just the opposite is true. We talk about money, and I talk about money a number of times a year because I believe it's a positive thing to talk about. God wants you to be faithful in all areas of your life, and there's benefits and blessings when you are, including the area of your finances. And giving faithfully to God is one of the ways that he bestows grace to you in this life. So we talk about what the Bible says about money a handful of times a year, and we do so intentionally in terms of our spiritual lives because that's the way that the Bible talks about it. And so with that, I want to ask you to grab a Bible, open with me to Malachi chapter 3. If you've been with us for a number of weeks, you know that there are a number of different touch points that God addresses with his people through the prophet. And in Malachi chapter 3, turn to page 802, please, of that pew Bible in front of you. You're going to want to keep up as we go. Just six verses this morning. You guys there? This is what the Lord says. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. And therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, 
and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will, be call, will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So God is speaking to his people Israel. And if we were to summarize Malachi 3, 6 to 12, we might summarize it with the main idea of this. Faithful giving is part of your faithfulness to God. Faithful giving is part of your faithfulness to God. Over the last number of weeks, we've seen a variety of ways in which Israel has been unfaithful. And right in the middle of this string of ways that he calls them back to faithfulness, he calls them out for not being faithful in their tithe. Now, maybe you're here today and and you're new uh, to these ideas of the Bible. You don't know what a tithe is. A tithe is the Old Testament principle that God sets aside the first 10% of our incomes that we are to then give back to him in worship. He claims it for himself. He sets it apart as holy. And a tithe in the Old Testament was given through a combination of sacrifices and beyond that, offerings. And it comes for the people of God with the recognition that everything that they have is God's. It's not like God gives them everything and then they give 10% back. No, it's everything they have is God's. They're stewards of it temporarily. And as such, he calls them to set aside this first 10% of their income. Cattle, sheep, their income from their jobs. It all comes from God and goes back to God. So there's a sense in the Old Testament that tithing is like a divine system of balance, you might say. It helps us to continue to keep our eyes on following God and relying on him because the temptation for money or of money is significant. It's alluring in the pursuit of wealth. And 10% is a significant sacrifice. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You don't just take off the top 10% of your paycheck and not feel it. There's something of that number. And if you've tried tithing, 10% hurts in a way that 5% just doesn't. It's sacrificial in its nature. So Israel stopped doing things God's way. And as we think about this element of why they stopped, we sort of wonder why. Well, how did they get there? How did they get to the point where they were so far from him in this area? 
it's most likely it didn't happen as such. They woke up one day and said, I'm just going to stop giving back what God has given me. Usually these types of things happen through the slow (laughs) decay of time where we say one decision at a time, one choice at a time, one expenditure at a time. My security is found when I'm holding my resources, my resources, tightly. That's a hard word for Israel. I think it's a hard word for many of us. Because we tend to fall into the same trap. We haven't actually chosen to be disobedient to God when it comes to money. But somewhere along the line, for some of us, we've just gotten off track. We've gotten away from doing things the way that God would have us to do. Turbulent economic times, an expenditure in the house, a variety of things. And before you know it, you wake up one day and you were on this track with giving financially to the Lord. And now suddenly you're pretty far away from that. It's a hard word when we don't do things God's way. I was talking to a couple friends of mine recently and we were talking about this book of Malachi and one of them cautioned me very quickly. He said, Nick, you've only been in Old North Church like six or seven months. You sure you want to make a bunch of people mad at you already? And I said, absolutely. Because, number one, I don't believe talking about money and giving is a negative thing. (laughs) And number two, this is a spiritual issue more than it's a practical issue. And I want you to know this morning, when Malachi talks, and even the framework of this conversation, giving is first and foremost a spiritual issue. And then it's a practical one. And the scriptures talk a lot about money, and it's in relation to your spiritual life. And so when we look at this text, it's interesting to me to think, how do Christians today move from a place where maybe they were taught about giving, maybe they were in a pattern of giving, of tithing even, and they move away? What kind of excuses do we make to find ourselves in the same spot that Israel found themselves? How do we justify not giving back to God what is already his? Well, one of the ways that we do is we never talk about it. Churches don't like to talk about tithing because it's difficult, it's awkward. I know here at Old North, as I've been sort of poking around in this topic, it sounds like there hasn't been a sermon on this topic for quite some time, and so it can feel tense in the room. Number two, some people, just to be honest, are never quite sure their motives, the motives of their pastor when he talks about it. I mean, if the pastor stands up and talks about giving, is he really just looking for a raise? No. We talk about giving because it's a spiritual health issue. And as your pastor, I'm concerned about your spiritual health personally and our spiritual health as a whole. For some of us, we don't like to talk about money or we move away from the idea of giving consistently because there's sort of an inherent sense of consumerism that comes with our day and age, right? I mean, if the church is given the goods then we will pay for it. If I'm excited about what's going on, if Pastor Chris and Nathan are doing a great job leading us in music, if I like the music, I'm willing to give more. <laughs> if the sermons are good, I'll give more. If they're boring, I'll give less. Whatever, whatever it might be. I mean, I think about the little boy 
who, the four-year-old boy who was in church with his parents one day, and as it was time to take the Lord's Supper, the communion plate was being passed, and he reached toward the bowl, and his mother grabbed his hand. He said, not yet, son. You need to wait a little bit longer until you can take communion. The boy was disgusted, but the plate passed. Later in the service, the uh, minister announced that it was time to take up the offering, and the music was playing, and the ushers came, and the offering plate was being passed. And it came to the boy's mother, and she held the plate in front of him, expecting him to give his offering, to which he looked at her and scowled and said, If I can't eat, I won't pay. A consumeristic mentality. If the goods are there, we'll pay for it. And if they're not, we don't pay. We vote with our wallets, in a sense. Another reason why some of us have gotten away from giving is the idea of control. I mean, we want to have a say where the money is going. Or maybe you feel like you should only give if there's a big challenge in front of you, a new staff member or a building campaign or an outreach event. But remember, the reason for tithing in the Bible is primarily a spiritual one. The practical implications of how those resources are used are a secondary concern. There's bigger spiritual implications for the church and for the outreach and for the interior health of a place than simply what happens with the money. Now some of us might say, Pastor Nick, why are we even talking about tithing? Isn't that an Old Testament principle? It doesn't apply to us today. And it is true that the law portion of tithing is an Old Testament principle. But we see in the New Testament a pattern of sacrificial giving where tithing left off. And 10% appears to be, at least in the New Testament churches, to be the starting point from where they would give. Did you know in ancient Israel that the people of God gave 20 to 24% of their income back to him through tithes and offerings? There was a strict 10% tithe as part of the law. There was a temple tax. There was things for the poor. There were a variety of methods and mechanisms for giving. 20 to 24%. And we see in the New Testament that sacrificial giving is the pattern. And I think it's pretty safe to say that 10% is the starting point. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. And finally, I think some of us just tell ourselves... We can't afford to tithe. We, it's just too much money. I mean, 10%. Nick, you're kidding me, right? Thank you. I think of um, uh, the former chaplain for the United States Senate, a guy named Peter Marshall. He had a gentleman come to him one day, and he, he wanted to talk about tithing specifically. He said, chaplain, I have a problem. I have been tithing for some time. And it wasn't that big of a deal when I was only making $20,000 a year. I could tithe $2,000 and I could afford that. But now I make $500,000 a year. And there is no way that I can afford 
to give $50,000 in my tithe. Peter Marshall reflected on this wealthy man's dilemma, but he gave no advice. He simply said to him, yes, sir, I see that you do have a problem. And I think we ought to pray about it, all right? And the man said, all right. And so Dr. Marshall bowed his head and he prayed in earnest and authority to the Lord. Dear Lord, I pray for this man today and his problem with regard to tithing. And I pray that you will help him. Lord, reduce his salary back to a level where he can afford to tithe again. Amen. We chuckle. (laughs) But we tell ourselves the exact same thing. It was easy to tithe when I was 25 in my first job. It's harder to tithe now that I'm 50 and make a lot more money. The expenses are greater. My lifestyle has changed. How could I possibly do this? Some of us avoid giving to God consistently. We find ourselves in this place because we think to ourselves blindly. If we're good in other areas of our spiritual lives, then we can overlook this one because it's really not that big of a deal. But I want you to know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal as God talks about it in Malachi chapter 3. Look with me. He says in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you, he says to them. To rob someone is to take what is theirs and to keep it for yourself. And it's bad enough to rob someone when uh, it is the material goods of this world. When you say to another person, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at your family, I'm looking at your possessions, and none of that means as much to me as my desire for what you have, so I'm going to take it. That's an egregious act. We put people in prison for that in our society. How much more so when you rob God? But guess what? It gets worse. Because at least when you rob another person, it's a one-time act. But when you deny sacrificial giving or even tithes to God, you're continually robbing him. But it gets even worse than that. Because no man robs God without actually robbing himself. Because when we live in ongoing rebellion against him, there's a breakdown of relationship that happens there. Intimacy with God changes as we continue to live in sin. And we ourselves then are robbed of God's nearness and his blessing that come from that type of relational intimacy. But God's response to them is typical. 
There's a resounding theme that happens throughout the Old Testament. Look with me at verse 6 as we see it. He says to them in this instance, For I, the Lord, do not change. And therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. What God is saying is that I'm still the same God who made the covenant with you. I'm still the same God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm still the same God who parted the sea. I'm still the same God who conquered your enemies. And what he's saying to us today is, I'm still the same God who sent his son for you. I'm still the same God whose word holds true. I'm still the same God who heals the sick and the barren and the broken. And I'm still the same God who forgives you of your sins. Even though you rob me, I'm still the same as I was yesterday. I'm that person today, and I will be that God tomorrow. And so he's ch- the tone of this passage is that he's chasing down his people, saying, I want to be with you. He gives them an option. He doesn't simply say, here's your option, obey or disobey. Instead, he pleads with them. He says, return to me, verse 7. Return to me, and I will return to you. Come back, cries the Lord. Be my people, act like my people, rob me no longer. Bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. Verse 10. Come back to me. Come back to me. And God knows that for people that aren't used to tithing, this is not easy. He knows that when we stop looking at all of our possessions as his possessions, but we start to think that they're our own, he knows that the more we tighten our grip around our resources, that it's harder to let go. And so he sets this challenge for them. He says, test me in this, says the Lord. Test me. Try it, God says. If you have a difficulty in making a change in your life, try me and see what happens. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Because security in this life is found in your obedience to God. And faithful giving is part of faithfulness to him. Faithful giving is part of our faithfulness to God. You know, we're at a crucial time, I think, in the life of our church. As I look at the last number of months, it's, it's evident there's so many ways in which for years leading up to this point, and now as we step into sort of the second half of our church transition, there's a sense that God is retooling the people of Old North for a new season long-term impact, sort of kingdom-building ministry. I don't think he's done yet with that. And Christian giving is an individual issue that happens in each one of our hearts and our decisions and our lives, but it's also a corporate issue. The blessings and the curses, as they're talked about in the Old Testament anyway, are corporate in their application. And so here's the challenge for us. The challenge is just very plainly, 
let's get back on track with our giving. And I think tithing is a good example to follow. Some of us here today are (laughs) very, very generous. Others of us, uh, maybe not so much. Maybe some of us have never been taught this before. Maybe some of us are struggling with the practical implications. But let's get back to doing this together. For some, we might need to go home and sit down and rework our budget with our spouses. And if you're in that place, don't delay. Try to do it. For others, it's a matter of being disciplined to write out a check weekly or monthly or however you want to do it. I mean, I, Amy and I go through the physical discipline. I physically write out a check uh, every other week because the physical discipline of writing out that check is sort of every, every single time it's painful. I've been tithing for an, a lot of years. But to say, God, all of this is yours, here's an act of discipline and worship to you um, is important. And I want to encourage you, if you have been giving faithfully to the Lord, and if you've been tithing, I want to encourage you to start thinking about and writing down the ways that the Lord has blessed you. Not just financially, but in a number of ways. I mean, he says, test me in this and see if I'm not going to bless you. I'm going to pour open the floodgates of heaven, he says. If you are maybe thinking about tithing for the first time, if you want to accept this challenge, make it a point over the next number of months to start writing down the ways that God responds. If he asks you to test him, I don't think that's just metaphor. I actually mean it. (laughs) Test me. See what I'm going to do here. And think about um, the ways in which his blessings are given to you. I'm wondering if you're willing to do another fun experiment with me. I have no idea, and I'm sure you don't either, what Old North would look like if all of the families of Old North decided to give at least 10% of their income to God in sacrificial giving. I I don't have a clue. Let's paint a picture together. A month from now, I would love it if we could do what I'm just going to call a tithe Sunday. Some of you give once a month. Some of you give a couple times a year. Some of you give every week. But for one Sunday, the Sunday March 13th, and we'll talk about this uh, again as we lead up to it. What if we all gave 10% of our income for that one week and just see what it looks like together? Paint a picture of what it would mean for the people to come around an idea like this and the types of things that the Lord could do with those type of resources. Now, I, I know that that would be uh, telling, encouraging, challenging in a number of different ways. And so think about that uh, with me and, and consider that over the next couple of weeks. You know, it feels like risky business following God sometimes. We don't know what he's going to do. We don't know how he's going to do it, and you don't know how he's going to take us along the way. And some of us might be thinking that this sounds like financial risky business to tithe, to give to God. But the message is clear. God says, return to me. Come back to me, and you'll be blessed beyond the ways that you can imagine. 
Because faithful giving is part of faithfulness to God. And so with that, I want to ask you if you have any questions about this topic. I know that in our day and age, there's so many practical implications. And the way we're going to do this is, is this. There's roaming microphones in the sanctuary, four to be precise. And if you have a question, I would encourage you to raise your hand, stand up, ask it clearly and loudly. Uh, when the microphone comes to you, wait for the microphone, please, and we can go forward from there. And I'll, just while you're thinking of one, I'll prime the pump so you're ready. Nick, Malachi 3 says, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven if you tithe. Are you saying that God will make me rich? And that question, I think, is an important one. Because there's a lot of preachers and authors out there that will say precisely that. God will make you rich. Um, And there is very clear blessing that comes along the lines with obedience. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, when you give faithfully to God, you will be made rich in every way. It actually uses those terms. And so this is a question, hey, if I give faithfully to God, am I going to be loaded? Well, remember, number one, remember what your reason for giving is. Your reason for giving is in worship and obedience to God. It is not for the results that come after. Those are secondary or tertiary in their concerns. Second, when you think about the scripture passages that talk about God's blessing, these blessings are spiritual in their nature and material in their nature. There's both. Third, when you consider what the definition of rich even is... (laughs) You're already rich, spiritually, but the standard for the rest of our world today is much different than the standard that we're used to living in. If you make $45,000 a year, you're in the top 1.7% of the richest people in the world. Food for thought. Fourth, Jesus speaks very clearly about the dangers of being wealthy And so would God put you in a place of danger if you can't handle it? A lot of considerations to say, if I tithe, will God make me rich? Maybe. Maybe he will. And maybe he won't. I think that's a pretty fair biblical assessment.